Hey, morning, Metropolis. It's now 5 after the hour of 6 a.m. in the big monster city. Come on! Let's get pumped! I'm not drinking any fucking Merlot! What can I say? The camera loves me. Shall we begin? After you, Junior. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Multiplex Login. Not one again, because he was here a while ago. But you know what I mean. Anyway, we got a fun group though, talking guilty pleasure movies. Uh Brooklyn! Brooklyn, it's been a little bit. How are you doing? It's, it's good. Uh, yeah. Um, are these guilty pleasure movies, or are they just movies that that I think are actually great? Um, it's it's kind of a blurry line, uh, but we're gonna see uh, where these actually sit. Fair enough, uh, Garth. Uh, yeah, this is definitely a show made for me because I got quite a few guilty pleasures, and I think at the end of the show, nobody trusts anyone, and we're all gonna be very tired. Okay, then. Joseph. Yes? Hi. Hi. How are you? I will ask you an actual question instead of just giving you a lead in the top. Is that better? Tired. (laughs) Oh, even before the show. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, we will get started starting off. Uh, with uh, the thing that we always talk about, your favorite movie that you love this week. Hopefully, you watch some good movies. Brooklyn, what'd you watch? Um, so hmm. yeah, I'm gonna be chaotic evil with this. Uh, my favorite movie that I logged this week uh, is borderline a movie, um, but it was I was able to log it. Uh, so uh, we're talking uh, the special from Bo Burnham, uh, Inside. Um, it's, uh, I just caught up with this, um, uh, a little bit ago and, uh, what a time this is, uh, just very, uh, dark at times, but also hits home to kind of how everybody was feeling, especially around a pandemic. Um, even like the non songs are great. Uh, like the whole reaction skit is a fucking time. Um, you see like the, not necessarily the blood, sweat and tears, um, but all of the, all of the struggle that I think he's had with this, because I think even like, if you, if you do some research into it, um, he tried to get it ready and then like would scrap it, like would scrap it all, um, and like watch it over again. So it's like a very heavily curated curated thing um but i think it's just it's something that everybody needs to see um because there's going to be stuff that you like some things that you don't like but i think the things that you don't like are the going to be the things that you kind of think on a little bit um and it's just yeah it's it's one of the better specials um on like netflix on youtube and it's just i think how accessible this movie is will is also kind of like how it's gonna kind of stay yeah, that's fair. You know, I, I don't know if I necessarily think of this as a movie movie, but it's a little bit more than just a special, right? There's there's some real artistry to this one that it kind of feels somewhere in the in the in-between realm. Uh it's I I did really like it. It it hits. Like there are some emotional punches in here that are like, wow, did not realize we were going that far. Joseph, I don't know if 
if you're a Bo, you don't seem like a Bo Burnham guy. I have not really got into his comedies specials or anything like that. I've only seen eighth grade with him. That's fair. I think. Right. Uh, yeah, I wasn't no, no, a no, fan no, of that the he directed. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I wasn't a fan of the early Bo Burnham stuff, but Inside is a five star for me. Uh, there are parts of it I'm not that fond of, but for the most part, it's all stellar. Uh, the the part and and all the lighting adjustments and everything that he does is is amazing in his little apartment. Uh, there's the the one song, um, like it on the name, where he's playing the guitar in the woods, and it's like a little campfire, a little woods behind him, and you know you know he's in his living room, but it's it's just this atmosphere. And it's it's beautiful how he captures that. And to anyone who's a fan of it, I also recommend watching the Inside Out takes, where it's all these extra things that he left out. Uh, it's and, oh no, and uh, I was no, it's say, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm done. Okay, no, I was just gonna say it's crazy that Five Years uh, is the best song on the special. On anything like it's just it's catchy uh it's crazy that that, that that didn't make it but i also understand why that's fair uh well now uh garth let's go over to you what was your favorite movie a lot this week yeah and i just wanted to, adelaide got it in the chat that funny feeling is the song i was thinking um and for me i had actually quite a few five stars this week uh, a bunch were rewatches. there were two new ones uh, so I'm going to pick uh, See How They Run. Uh, I gave it five stars. Uh, I really loved it. Um, you know, they, they had me, as soon as I saw Sam Rockwell, Sarson Ronan, and Adrian Brody in a uh, period like 1950s London mystery, Agatha Christie style, I was like, all right, I'm in. Um, and it's actually the directorial debut of, uh, what's the guy's name? Tom George. Uh, Tom George, yeah. And then the writer, it's only his second movie. So it's like these pretty new guys. And it's got this uh, great Wes Anderson feel to it where they break the fourth wall. There's a flashback scene. And during the flashback scene, they talk about how flashback scenes are corny. Uh, stuff like that. Um, and it's just wonderful. And, you know, the whole cast is great. And I could see this being turned into a play very easily. Yeah, uh, no, I I really enjoyed this. I think one of the most interesting dynamics, though, in the movie is how they kind of go over, like, the the differences, because the the film is a, you know, the backdrop is this adaptation of a film. So I think it's kind of a play, or an adaptation of a play to a film. So I think it's really fascinating how they kind of go over the differences between uh, theater and yeah. cinema in terms and of the from a book. storytelling. Yeah. And I think that's really fascinating. Uh, yeah, I saw this. This would have been my pick for favorite movie I logged this week, everybody. Literally everyone I know when the trailer came out messaged me and said, this is going to be the Boatman movie of the year. And yeah, <laughs> It is. It's it's the Boatman movie. It's the Boatman movie. It's great. Sir Ronan being a, a little movie nerd that gets anxious and movie nerds, the movie nerdiness. Yeah. Like that's 
Yeah, that's that's the. I, I, and I love the whole. The, so you write yeah. down everything. No, just mm -hmm. the important things. Well, what about that? Well, it could be important. You know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that's the Boatman character of the year. So yeah, uh, Joseph. You know, I feel like you don't get to a whole lot of recent releases. I feel like you kind of get them on the back end. I I do, yeah, usually. So you haven't seen this, I assume. Not yet. Okay, Brooklyn. Uh, I haven't seen it. Haven't heard, haven't even heard about it until oh. recently, like like recent, really like just now. Um, not sure if this would be a jam for me. Uh, you talk, you mentioned Wes Anderson, and then I was like, okay could be cool because i like his kind of like i like his aesthetic or his, his, like his atmosphere um but then i noticed that there are times where he kind of gets full of himself and then when boatman was like oh the movie nerd being being a movie like nerding out about movies it's like oh no i could see it going this route but um i'm glad that you guys enjoyed it have you seen Fair me and earl and the dying girl brooklyn i have not there's a whole lot of geeking out about different movies in a lot of scenes from that it's uh, it's... Okay, so probably not. So probably not a movie for me. Okay. Fair. Well, anyway, uh, let's now go over to Joseph. Joseph, what's your favorite movie log this week? So I don't remember. I don't know if you guys remember a few years ago in Full Metal Trivia, we a couple of us went through a certain phase where we would put up polls of movies from our watch lists to get people to vote yes. on what we would on what we should watch first from our uh, list of options. So uh, for some reason, I'm still not done with the poll that I, um, back, when I <laughs> back when I did it, back when I did it, I put 20 movies up there. Uh, I asked people to vote for up to three and then the top three voted ones would be the ones I would watch first, first, which I did. And then I've been slowly working through it. Well, oh. well, this past week, I was able to log my penultimate to penultimate penultimate movie from that list. It's a movie that I had. Uh, I was going in cautiously because I had heard mixed things about the ending. I was still looking forward to it because I like Steven Spielberg as a director, and I was just blown away by AI, artificial intelligence. This movie, uh, well, first of all, I will say. I can see the, how the ending is divisive for people, but with the Steven Spielberg direction and the way that the story goes and the tone, I kind of, it kind of grew on me. I don't know. I feel like, so if you don't know what this movie is about, the main character is a boy robot played by Haley Joel Osment. His name is David and he is adopted adopted by a by, by a family who is whose whose who son got into a coma so it was a way for the mother to cope with her with her not having a son at the moment uh but then more complicated things happen and the movie touches on different themes about how advanced the technological aspects for different machines, in this case robots, can go. And it also raises ethical questions about how far is too far and is the, is the use of these humanoids or androids really worth going through? 
there uh the world is very uh very impressive to me the um the the world is futuristic and there are people that use the robots for different as for different things in their lives jude law plays this gigolo named gigolo joe and he's kind of fun in a lot of places and some one parts i, I don't want to spoil much but there are some scenes that really shook me about in in regards to people that destroy the robots because they feel like they're taking over and they want to get rid of the ones that don't seem to have a main purpose in the lives of humans. And there are some stunning scenes with some very impressive images about how, about, it, that made me think they're kind of mistreating them. Like, it's a very thought-provoking movie, I think. I, I, would, I would recommend giving it at least a shot. Fair enough. Uh, I've never actually seen uh, AI all the way through, uh, so I won't comment on it. Brooklyn, have you seen AI? Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of this whenever I was eight. Um, that was the last time I think I think I think I saw that movie. But yeah, that is fair. Garth. Uh, yeah, I saw it when it came out, and maybe a couple times since. Um, I'd, I'd equate it with a Pinocchio type story where he sort of wants to be. You know, when he's with his family and he's a surrogate son to them, he kind of, uh, you know, he kind of wishes that he could be a real boy for someone, you know. Well, isn't it like supposed to be Pinocchio, right? Like there's a literal blue fairy at the end, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah so, so, yeah. So all the aspects of it and stuff as you go through it. Um, you know, I guess Gigolo Joe would be Jiminy, I guess. Uh but yeah, it's it's an interesting take, and uh, uh, some of the visual effects, like the underwater scenes and stuff, are, are very spectacular. Look, I've I've heard the Zemeckis remake is bad, but I really hope that uh, that Zemeckis didn't try to do that angle for Jiminy Cricket. Who well, boy. at <laughs> least for this year, Zemeckis isn't the worst. The worst Pinocchio is the Polly Shore dubbed Russian one. Sure. <laughs> that didn't really work for my joke as well to reference the Polly Shore one, but okay. Uh, anyway, uh, we're over to me now, and I was going to pick See How They Run, but you know what? It gives me an opportunity to talk about a movie that I feel like has kind of been tossed aside, and it's not necessarily my intention to pick uh, two movies from this director in a row, but... Joseph brought up one. I'm going to bring up another 2000 Spielberg. The Terminal. Guys, the Terminal is good. Like, I, I like my whole life. It's always been like, oh, yeah, Terminal, mid-tier Spielberg. That's bad. Oh, Terminal is like one of his worst movies. What? I, I need all the people who were alive in 2004 and, like, saw this movie. I need you to explain to me why you all, like, hated this movie, or maybe not hated, but are all, like, cynical on this movie. Because this movie rules. This, this movie is great. Uh, like, it's, it's Spielberg doing a Capra, right? He's doing, he's 100% trying to make a Capra movie. And you know what? Spielberg's a great director, and Capra is a great director. And it's, it's pretty easy to do a Capra. If you try, you can do a Capra pretty easy. And 
if you're a master filmmaker like Spielberg. And Spielberg knocks it out of the park. This movie's like super charming. I love Stanley Tucci as kind of a pseudo villain in this. Uh, but like he's he's just like so just like everything. But I love the scenes where he's just like doing his job. Like half of me wishes that the movie kind of would have been about Stanley Tucci as like this airport customs commissioner. Because I actually think all the scenes where he's like doing his job and like finding out like, oh, this guy's got stuff in his bag. Like I think was like super fascinating actually. It seemed nothing like not realistic at all. Because, like, that doesn't seem like how that actually works. But it was, they're still really awesome scenes. Uh, but, like, this whole movie is, like, so sentimental and so, like, just, it's, it's just was a really, like, comfy movie. But it wasn't, like, overly schmaltzy. Like, there's scenes in there that go pretty harsh on Tom Hanks. Like, I, I think that is the one thing that I know people hate the accent. Which, like, fair. I think Hanks sells it. I think Hanks sells it, personally. Anyway, Brooklyn, have you ever seen The Caramel? Um, I haven't, but if I can give a little perspective as I think why people maybe overlook this is because, like, I think, because wasn't Spielberg, Spielberg's movie before this, Catch Me If You Can? Uh, yeah. And it's like, Tom Hanks in an airplane. All right, you want to see him? Want to see Tom Hanks in an airport? Either uh, what, it was either that or Minority Report. I don't remember. No, yeah, I think Minority Report might have actually they they were the same year, so I don't know yeah. what month those two came out. Yeah, so I think I think that might be like a, like a very quick reason as to why people kind of overlooked it, myself included. But um, it seems up my alley. Like I don't think Tom Hanks has really done anything terrible, except for maybe Pinocchio. But we'll see. That's fair, Garth. Uh, yeah, I actually have often said. Uh, Catch Me If You Can was the last Spielberg, so I think it came after Minority Report. I often yeah, say I just checked Spielberg it was I Minority Report, then Catch Me If You Can, then Terminal. Yep. Yeah. So <clears throat> this was the one that kind of threw me off. Uh, as we've seen with Elvis, Tom Hanks, not the best at accents. Uh, for you, he sells it. For me, he didn't. Um, and so it, to me, it was not really Capra, more Borat. Uh, uh, like, I just I, I just couldn't get into this one. And uh, there, are, there are a couple Spielberg since then that I've liked, but for the most part, I think Catch Me If You Can was the last one I really loved. Okay, then. Um, yeah, Joseph, I know you've seen this. Yes, Fun. It's funny you bring this up because this movie was also on my poll watch list that I did, and I watched it last year. So that was another. This was another movie I checked off from that poll watch list. Uh, the accent is the is my least favorite aspect of the movie, but I do agree that I liked the story about how uh, Tom Hanks is trying to. Well, later later you learn why he's really there, but I liked seeing his character just trying to do what he can because it's all he can do but it's just a it's just such a positive vibe and comforting movie it's it's almost like a comfort movie for uh for me that i wish kind of wish i had uh well uh there's one scene that i feel like was a little little bit 
too sentimental, too easily done that he gets away with. But I still really like this movie. Quick question. Do you think this movie has Shawshank vibes? No. Okay. Thank you for bringing that up. Because Kirk said that in his review. And I agreed with, like, everything else, the, the other thing he said in his review. And I agree with his, like, analysis of the, of the movie. The Shawshank vibes thing. I, I just want to ask Kirk what he means by that. <laughs> because I'm very confused. Because because I, I asked him that. And, he was, and I was actually telling him, I can kind of see that. Because he's trapped. Tom Hanks is trapped in one location. And... He has to try to get out, but there are obstacles around him. But in the meantime, while he's staying in this one location, he tries to make everybody's lives feel better in different ways. Yeah, he, he adapts to a prisoner type situation. That that still feels like a little bit of a reach, but I at least get it now. They have the beers on little, the roof kind of scenes in it, you know? I, I get what you mean, but like it... It's it feels like a little bit of a stretch. It, 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 is, it is. It is. But anyway, like like Stanley Tucci doesn't go full on Clancy Brown at any <laughs> Right. That's not. Of course, it's the this 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 movie is more sentimental than Shawshank, but yeah. it's still. I, yeah. It just it feels like a little bit of a stretch. But I I understand. It's just a little bit of a reach. Anyway, yeah. Brooklyn, we're gonna go back over to you. Your least favorite movie you log this week. So I'm sure like everybody, they have a folder in our in our letterboxed uh the things that I watch for trivia. Um and I had to watch uh I had to watch a movie for fan zone recently. Um I had to break my John Claude Van Damme bubble um with Bloodsport. Um and man, this is uh the if you don't like 80s movies, you're really not going to like this one. Um, and it's... Uh, I don't understand the appeal for Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, it's just like basic generic action guy. Um, I do... like The things that I do like about it are like the action, and I think the concept's really cool, because I think that this basically influenced Mortal Kombat. Um, and I will always, always applaud, uh, things that, that influence that game. Um, but it's just like the, the side character. Um, if you, if you're familiar with wrestling and Braun Strowman, like basically Braun Strowman's dad, just like a big hairy guy that like, is just in this like low brooding, tough voice. Um, Chong Lee is is great but he's like a fucking psychopath uh in this um and this is a this is a very gay movie this is a very man loving man kind of movie um there uh, john claude van damme and his buddy are playing an arcade um and there's this and just the angle that that that, that they're shooting it from like from the perspective of the, of the arcade cabinet and it just looks like they're doing something else um, and then there's a shot uh, on this where uh, John Claude Van Damme is wearing very tight spandex, uh, and I was like, "Oh, all right, cool. So this is the kind of movie that we're, that we're at right now. Um, we're, tr we're we're trying to show we're trying to show butts. We're trying to get get some get some butts and seats because of butts. But uh, yeah, Bloodsport is uh, just another '80s movie that I think uh, is just it's it's okay." I, if you told me, like, hey, Boatman, you're going to hate Bloodsport, I believe you. I don't. 
I actually, I actually kind of like this one. Of all the J JCBDs I've seen, this is like probably his best. Um, I, I think this one's actually pretty fun. Uh, I, I like, I think the story itself, like, really holds a lot of the things together because I think, like, the fact that it's not going for like kind of a force action plot, and it's it's almost more of a sports movie than ever than being a straight up action movie. Like, it's more of a sports movie, and I think that absolutely works to the movie's advantage. Like, it's a sports movie with deadly consequences, but it has more of the format of, like, a boxing or a sports movie, which, I mean, I know coming out of my mouth sounds strange, but, like, I feel like having that sports movie structure actually really helps because it doesn't have, like... Uh, like, Chong Lee is, like, the villain, but he's not... Like, well, he's, like, a psychopath. He's not, like, a mustache-twirling villain, if you will. Um, and I think that helps to the movie's favor. Also, Brooklyn, you got to back me up, though. The soundtrack kind of slaps to this. The soundtrack, the soundtrack is kind of great. That is, yeah, I, I, I will give it that. And most 80s movies. Uh, the soundtrack is pretty fucking all right. It's, it's a Stan Bush soundtrack. And when that man was told that you're about to make a song for a movie, he didn't ask what movie he was doing. He just went in and took it to 11. Uh, Garth. You see, I assume uh, you've seen Bloodsport. Oh heck yeah! I saw it when it came out in theaters many times, and uh, I'm it's right up my alley. I'm an '80s action guy, uh, and you know this is like Karate Kid mixed with Mortal Kombat cranked to eleven, uh, and based on uh, Frank Duke's uh, real life guy who was full of shit about his life, but uh, it, it sounded cool that he went to this uh, tournament, and you know based off against the best in the world. Uh, <clears throat> and I think we've got a team named after it. So, uh, and, but it's an awesome movie and, you know, it's, it's, it, it's just not Brooklyn's taste and I can understand that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Joseph, I don't know if you've seen this. I have not. That's fair. Anyway, uh, then Garth, we'll go to you. Your least favorite movie you watched this week. Well, I got to admit, I had it written down. I gave a one star to a movie called uh, Me Time, starring Kevin Hart and Mark Wahlberg. Then I saw another movie that I gave a half star to. Now, this one's going to be a bit controversial because the majority of the people I follow on Letterboxd who reviewed this have given it four or five stars. It's well loved. And that's the movie Barbarian, uh, written and directed by Zach Greger. Uh, this one, I'm in the very small minority. Uh, a lot of people love it. A lot of people gave it four or five stars, said it's unique and revolutionary and, you know, this and that. And I'm not, you know, I obviously won't get into spoilers or anything, but for me, it was like, Hard trope after hard trope after hard trope, like I've seen this before, and I saw stuff coming a mile away. I, I nothing, you know. I, I just thought it was like he basically like what it was. It was sort of like uh, Cabin in the Woods, but not quite a parody. But it was like still like using all the old horror, you know, stuff. So so it didn't work for me. Um, I'd rather watch his movie Miss March. Uh, the first movie. Yeah. Sure. Uh, Joseph, 
I'm going to assume you haven't seen this. Yeah, uh, I also haven't seen this. I've been told this is not a super potent movie. Brooklyn, I'm also um, going to guess you haven't seen it. Or maybe you have. I haven't, but I have a funny anecdote with this. So imagine me and Andrew James Barr sitting in an AMC theaters waiting to see, I think it was, uh, nope. Yeah, I think it was nope. And then the trailer for this comes on, and then the trailer for this ends. And I look over to Andrew, and I'm like, hey, it looks pretty good. And Andrew looks at me, and it's like, this trailer fucking sucks. Uh, so, yeah. Wait, did you meet Andrew Barr in person? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was a couple episodes of Logged It where I'm actually like in his house. Yeah, I remember those. I they were in the, they were in different I rooms. Never knew this. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I went, to, I, I went to I went to Philadelphia. I went to Atlantic City. I went to New York. I walked I walked across the Brooklyn Bridge. It was a great time. I saw Top Gun Maverick. I I got to experience AMC. Was I, was I there those days on Logged It? I might have not been there, and I was probably. That that was probably a day I wasn't watching because I wasn't there, but I remember. Or maybe you were, and I just completely. I was on. I was on the late. I was on the late shift that night. That that night too. What? I was on the late shift. Late the the, the, the words are hard. Uh, late shift. Um, they were talking about what was it? Um. Anyway, that's not important. Uh, yeah. Uh, we'll move on. I was kind of surprised by that, but I probably didn't need to be. Anyway, uh, Joseph, your least favorite movie. You love this. So this week wasn't a terrible week. The movies that I logged this past week were I enjoyed to various uh, to various extents. Extent extents. Nah, sorry. The movie that I have as my least favorite movie that I logged this week, I still kind of I still find it to be a watchable movie an interesting movie in parts but compared to everything else that i logged i would say this is by default my least favorite but i still don't think it's a terrible movie uh i watched a movie called the connection this is a 2014 movie and it stars jean dujardin from the artist as a uh, drug czar working for france to try to uh, warring against the the trying to fight drugs in france this is ba this movie wants to uh, this movie advertises itself as a as a as the french side of the french connection where the uh the france and new york were having a chain of drugs shipping uh, shipments and people were trying on different on people on both sides were trying to fight it and there are aspects about this movie that I do like. There are there were some editing sequences that show the extent of the of the drug dealers reaching their their scope of of uh, their their markets and the editing at times reminded me of Goodfellas. I thought that this might be an interesting movie. This has a good, nice energy to it. And it explores the personal life aspects of Jean Dujardin's character because it affects his family. He puts so much time into trying to catch the drug dealers and the other uh, authority figures uh, think that he's uh, too nosy in trying to catch them. But at times it kind of drags. I feel like there are 
I feel like it starts to develop these aspects of his, of the toll that it has on Jean de Jardin's character. And I feel like at times it sacrifices that for the sake of trying to present a more developed villain. They, uh, they they spend some more time with the drug lord who's the main bad guy and it made me think of goodfellas because of how uh they do show uh, some tense scenes of them trying to catch the drug dealers or jean dujardin's character and other authorities trying to avoid getting uh getting killed in retaliation for any of their nosy business by the drug dealers. But it made me think, what does Goodfellas do in this regard that's different than the connection? Because I feel like there's something missing. This has this has the makings of a great movie, but I feel like there's something missing. I feel like I feel like it's a little too ambitious at times, but I still respect it in aspects. Like Goodfellas, I think, has focuses focuses mainly on Henry Hill and it could have chosen to develop the FBI agents who are on his tail, but they don't. And I feel like that keeps it more focused, but this movie's trying to put it, have it both ways. And I feel like it's, I feel like it sacrifices some of that emotional way that it could have had more on Jean Dujardin's character. But again, if you find it someplace I saw it on my library's Hoopla, I feel like it's an interesting enough watch to... It's watchable. It's not definitely... I don't, I don't think it's a terrible movie to watch, but it's by default my least favorite movie that I logged this week. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I have not... I even heard of this. Um, so, yeah, Brooklyn. I'm going to assume you haven't heard of this, but, you know, you're, you're Canadian, so that's basically France. Uh, Garth, have you heard of this? Uh, I have heard of it, but I have not watched it. Uh, you know, and I love the French connection in Popeye Doyle. So uh, uh, it, it sounds like this would be a good, like, you know, like watch them together kind of thing. So I might yeah, know. honestly, the maybe the most unfortunate aspect is that it would make me want to see the French connection again, which makes me like the French connection more, but. I feel like this movie needed more to stand out on its own. Fair enough. Uh, well, now that goes over to me. I don't really have like an awful new watch, so I'm just gonna go to uh, a rewatch. Um, hey, this this movie isn't bad, but this movie I'm just kind of on team. This movie's kind of nothing. Frozen Two. I'm sorry, guys. I've given this movie a lot of chances, and I just don't see. Like I know. I'm glad Tim's not here, because I know Tim loves this movie, and I just, I can't, I can't get into it. I just think that it just, it feels so tacked on. Like, they clearly don't know what to do with half the characters, and even the characters who they do know what to do with, it feels, it feels like this could have been, like, just another short. It honestly does. Like, I feel like this could have been another... 23 minute short only then parents would get mad if you play it before coco because it's already a, a two hour long experience and now we're at we're tacking on 20 minutes to that but regardless frozen to eh. uh brooklyn i uh, have not seen this movie um but uh 
I'm not surprised that Walt Disney Company likes money. Uh, and they like cashing in on that holiday season where you can buy action figures of the of the new Elsa doll that the, that the kids probably probably already have. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, you know merchandising. It's kind of what killed Star Wars. Fair enough, Garth. Uh, yeah, uh, for me, uh, among Pixar movies, uh, Brave is one of my favorites. Like I'm in a rare thing because it reminds me of family, like. Marita reminds me of my sister and all the Scottish stuff. And they have like the Standing Stones, SNS type stuff in there. So when I watch Frozen 2, I go, hey, it's the Stones from Brave. Uh, you know, so like <laughs> like Frozen 2 for me is a retread of the first movie with stuff from other movies thrown in. And it, it did not work for me. I agree. Fair enough. Uh, Joseph. So I can see why uh, this movie would be regarded as being uh, a lesser Disney animated movie. I do think some of the plot lines involving the uh, Anna trying to decide, or uh, I, wish, I should say Kristoff trying to propose to Anna, but then things constantly getting in the way gets a little annoying and irritating at times. But for uh, the one thing that I say this movie has going for, in my opinion, is Show Yourself. That song absolutely rules. I love this song so much. I even love it more than the nominee from than the Oscar best song nominee that this movie had for Into the Unknown. And I also might even like it more than Let It Go. So, yes, not, that's not that high of a bar to clear, for being honest. Um, yeah. The, the best song in the movie is the Weezer cover of Lost in the Woods. Woo! <laughs> <sighs> uh, Big yeah. triangle has been stuck in my head all week. Um, it's been kind of kind of interesting. That's fair. Uh, that was Boatman's Weezer reference of the day. I get one. Anyway, yeah, now Weezer. Weezer reference. We get into the main part of the show. We get into the guilty pleasures. Brooklyn, start us off. Okay, I was going to save this for last, but fuck it. We're going to swing for the fences right away. Um, the Love Guru uh, is one that I like more than I should. Um, is this the movie that killed Michael Myers' career? Absolutely. Some of this is trash. Like the like the, the whole Mariska Hargitay thing gets old quick. Um, the joke was great, like on first watch, um, but afterwards it's not. Um, but... The charm, I guess, that you will say that they'll say is here is the relationship between Mike Myers and Justin Timberlake, uh, as he, he is the goaltender Jacques Lecoq Grande. Um, and as a Canadian, um, I love the little jabs that they take on like Quebec. And it's funny that Boatman mentioned that Canada is basically France, and it's like if you know the history of Quebec, you know that's like that's it's the exact opposite. And that's why they left France. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, one of the lines from this movie that I keep quoting all the time is, uh, I would like to give you a Quebec pizza, Pop-Tart with the ketchup. He's good. Um, so that's something we reference all the time. And I remember, um, I think it was like uh, an episode of Critically Acclaimed where William Bibiani and Winnie Seibold were talking about it. And I guess people uh, were emailing them in like, yeah, as a Quebecer, like we don't actually do that. And it's like, that's kind of the point because like ev everybody in Canada makes fun of Quebec. Um, and that's just kind of like the, 
that they're kind of a scapegoat for, for, for a lot of stuff. So I think that's where it kind of has um, where it kind of like resides in that sense. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely not Mike Myers best. Um, yes, I think I would. Cause I think the hockey elements are not the best stuff. That's fair. Uh, I haven't seen this and I don't want to like, even I, here. I like, think, I, I, I think you would, I think you would like some parts of it. I don't think you know me then. Cause even the things that you're saying as positives make me kind of want to go jump off a bridge and drink some bleach. Anyway, Garth, thoughts on the love guru, this immortal classic. Uh, yes. Uh, I saw it when it came out and as master of disguise is the Dana Carvey. This is the Mike Myers. It's like, Oh, why did you make that? Uh, it's like, uh, I saw it once and I was like, yeah, no. Oh, sorry guy. I love, I love Mike Myers, but no. Joseph? I have not seen it, but uh, I just want to say, Brooklyn, you say that you like this more than you should. Isn't that what guilty pleasures are, though? Basically. Didn't you already comment that in the comments? I know, but I wanted to say that because <laughs> I think it should be emphasized that we're, you should expect lesser regarded movies, and that's okay because... Yeah, that's kind of the point. That's why the thumbnail has, like, Four crappy movies on it. Yes, I'm just, I'm, I'm just saying, don't feel we, we should not feel too bad. We know people that are going to be like, what the hell are you guys talking about? But we enjoy it, so that's why we're here. I, I mean, haven't seen the, it. I don't think I'll ever. We're also allowed to like come in and say this, this is garbage. Anyway, uh, right. Gar over to you. Yeah, well, that's the whole idea of this show. Is a, yeah. It's basically like, I love this. Everybody else hates it. I mean, over to you for your first pick. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I've actually got a, some uh, props for mine. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> my, my first guilty pleasure is... Yeah! Flash... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is a cool little figure that some friends made. Uh, I I just love this movie to death. Um, I also have an affinity for movies soundtrack by Queen like this and Highlander. Uh, their music just lifts this movie up to another level. Um, and I love the story behind this where George Lucas really wanted to direct this, had script ready. Dino De Laurentiis said, you're not the right guy for it. So he went off and made Star Wars. Uh, so this wound up uh, being Mike Hodges uh, being the director. Uh, but I'm still curious what a George Lucas Flash Gordon would have been like compared to this. Um, and it stands the test of time for some people who do love it. Uh, I mean, you can see it, it definitely in uh, Thor Ragnarok, uh, directed by Taika Waititi. Uh, he definitely threw in some Flash Gordon stuff in there. Um, and it's one of those movies that, um, you know, Max von Sydow uh, just choose the scenery as being the merciless and, and all that stuff. And uh, Brian Blessed as Prince Voltan. I've dressed as him many times for costume parties and uh, just love the boisterous nature, you know. Warden's alive, you know, uh, and stuff like that. And there's so many beautiful scenes in this. 
You got Timothy Dalton as the swashbuckling Prince Baron, uh, and they're doing his swashbuckling like he did in the Rocketeer and, and stuff like that, and uh, you know, being Bond, of course. But it's it's you know, it's got so many aspects I love, and so that this is my number one guilty pleasure. That is fair. Uh, I have not seen Flash Gordon. Uh, Joseph, have you seen Flash Gordon? I have, and I highly enjoy it because it knows what movie want it wants to be. It's a it's an eighties fantasy movie where it's just having fun with the world that it's that it's putting on screen. I like the music as well. I just it's just so much fun. I think it's a little dated. Sure, but a lot of 80s sci-fi fantasy stuff is. But I still think that it's just so charming and fun. It doesn't... It's not trying to be... It doesn't think... It's not pretentious or anything. It's just so much fun. I, I do enjoy it, yes. It's been a while, but I wouldn't mind rewatching it. Fair enough. Brooklyn, have you seen Flash Gordon? Haven't seen it, but man, if you if you get to if you get to, if you get Queen to do the most Queen stuff like glam metal to fucking like fifteen, uh, it's just it's great. Try Highlander. Who wants to live yeah. forever? Yeah, those two movies back to back are awesome. Oh, and one other thing I forgot to mention is it's actually the first movie for Robbie Coltrane. He's just the guy at the airport that puts the bags on the plane. That's it, but. <laughs> I Fair forgot enough. he was in that movie. Okay, nice. Uh, Joseph, we're going to go over to you. So, uh, my favorite, or the movie that I consider to be my biggest guilty pleasure is The Day After Tomorrow from 2004. Oh. <laughs> wow. Oh. This movie is very... <laughs> That's a bigger reaction for Brooklyn than I was expecting. But this movie is very scientifically inaccurate. There's a scene where characters, no spoilers, but there's a scene where characters are shown running from deadly freezing air. There's also a scene where in the middle of a city, after a flood, there's a giant ship that sails in. But you don't see that any of the buildings behind it are wrecked. So did it land somewhere? Did it fall in the water? Where's the wreckage that it left? You can see, uh, well, there's also a scene where Jake Hall's character, who plays Dennis Quaid's son, he tells his father that he got an F in calculus because he was smarter than his teacher who wanted him to write out his solutions and math work. And also, this has the most unrealistic portrayal of international relations between the U.S. and Mexico. But I have so much fun watching the disaster scenes. The visual effects are stupendous. I rewatched this a couple of weeks ago. I still think the effects hold up really well. And you know what makes the disaster scenes more fun or at least more suspenseful? The fact that you actually kind of want to like the characters. And I also kind of, and I also do like the characters. They're a little underdeveloped here and there, but they're not like unlikable jerks that you just want them to die or anything. You're actually, I actually have more fun because I want to see these characters get out of this situation. Now, 
there are authority authority figures who are like, oh, we don't think that global warming is such a big issue right now. It doesn't look like it's going to affect us right now. We don't have to worry about mass evacuations, but they're not put in the disaster scene. So you don't want their – so you're not – there's no negative energy coming from the, from the disaster scenes. You're only caring about the people that are in the – in the disaster in the disaster scenes which are a lot of fun or just admiring or having fun with the spectacle of all the uh all the terrible natural disaster things that are happening but still um it is maybe maybe the worst thing about it is that it's preachy about its environmentalist message but when i was younger and more impressionable I was scared of this movie because I thought, what if there was a new ice age in this world? As a very young, as a younger viewer, I was like, my state is in that area of where Dennis Quaid is saying people need to stay in or they'll freeze if they go outside. That scared me as a younger viewer. <laughs> but yeah, I still highly enjoy this movie. Fair enough. Uh, I haven't actually seen this. Brooklyn? Uh, yeah, so 12-year-old uh, me loves this movie. Um, this was, I think this might have been like the first apocalyptic movie that I'd ever seen, so I I, I agree with Joseph that there, there are some impressionable things here. Like, um, I, think, I think the scene that I immediately go back to when I think of this movie is whenever it's like, I think they're in a library after this flood and it's just like Jake, it's like Jake and the rest of the students kind of just waiting for it. And it's like, okay, cool. So this is kind of what I'm looking for forward to in the apocalypse. Um, but yeah, haven't checked it out since then. Maybe one of the more memorable movie posters. Cause if I remember correctly, yes. it's the, the snow and like the statue of Liberty. Yep. Like the arm. Yeah. So like, that's always going to be stuck in my head, but, uh, but yeah, haven't checked it out since maybe 2009. Uh, Garth? Uh, yeah, no, I, I've seen it a few times, and uh, I'd agree with uh, Joseph that this is a, you know, goofy, fun uh, movie. Uh, the As he mentioned, the outrunning the frost, you know, they're running down a hallway, and it's like frost is on the walls and stuff, and it's like, what the? It's, it reminded me of, like, Long Kiss Goodnight, where uh, Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson outrun an explosion, that kind of thing, where it's like, that's not how physics work. Um, but it's it's I, I think this is one of those movies that you can put on with friends and make fun of. It's it's you know goofy fun movie. That is fair. Well, uh now we're over to me, and uh, I'm going with uh a movie that I I have no introduction. It's Paul Blart Look, is this movie bad? Yes. Have I seen this movie an inhuman amount of times? Yes. Look, Happy Madison humor usually just does not vibe with me. Like, usually, I just, I want to punch those movies in the face. I can't explain it. Probably because I saw this movie when I was nine. And when you're nine, this is the funniest thing ever. But I don't know. I th this movie, I think it's because literally this movie, it's Die Hard in a mall. It's the structure of Die Hard in a mall. It is Die Hard in a mall, 
and it's got Kevin James at his most Kevin James, which is not a positive. Well, it's not really a negative. Like, I'd rather have him at 100% Kevin James than Kevin James doesn't care. So anyway, it's it's very silly. It's very stupid. I love that all of the all of the the bank robbers are like nicknamed after Santa's reindeer. That's just a stupid detail that I love. Kevin James playing rock band in the arcade to kiss his Detroit Rock City will always not like when I hear that song. I don't think of that. I think of Paul Blart playing it on the guitar. So you know, look. Is it is it stupid? Yeah. I I can't even deny it. I've seen this movie so many times. It's it's fun. I have fun. Anyway, Brooklyn, have you seen Paul Blart? I I have. I am also with you in that when I hear Detroit Rock City, I all I could see is him playing it in that I think it was like the jungle the jungle bar or whatever or something. It's or just maybe, an arcade. Oh, I just an arcade? Okay. Um, oh, I thought I thought it was like a stereo. I I will say the thing that I do enjoy in this movie is the relationship between him and his daughter. Because uh, I think especially like in early on in the movie, they kind of um they kind of uh, they kind of hit hit pretty hard on like his struggles and like on how he's just kind of like a dork, uh, like having the segue or whatever, like getting out of breath, and then the daughter is just kind of like a kind of like a cat in the corner. It's kind of like points it out, like oh, like you're you're you're, you're kind of struggling. Uh, like, what, what's going on here? And I think I think that's great. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I will also just quick. I will always associate Bobby Cannavale with this movie. No matter how many good performances or other things this man does, I will always see him as the the army guy, as a SWAT guy, not army guy, but SWAT guy who steps have- in and betrays uh, Paul Blart. Anyway, there's our- so much, so much to learn in Adam Sandler movies. He's he's in so much better. In Adam Sandler movies? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. In fact, uh, I was there when they were filming it. Uh, it's just uh, three miles down the road at Burlington Mall here in Burlington, Mass, here uh, where I get my groceries and stuff. And I saw a lot of scenes being filmed. They were there for quite a while. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the you know the, the mall cops there don't have segways, but, that you know, so seeing them zip around on a segway, I was like, oh, wow, all right. Uh, but it was, it was a, you know, the whole thing with the rocking out the kiss. One of the parts of that I really loved was that before he rocks out, he takes a swig of a pixie stick. Like, that's his shot. You know? Uh, I just love that. Really <laughs> that he, like, rips off the pixie stick. <sighs> you know, like. like he passes <laughs> out and he's, like, crawling for, like, a sucker that was left underneath. That movie was so stupid. Oh, man. But yeah, it's it's uh, goofy fun, like you know, like the other ones, and and yeah. So I yeah, I can see um, him. Oh, to answer the question of the Bob, Bob Bobby Cannavale, he makes a great cameo in Big Daddy. He's in it for maybe two minutes, uh, and he steals every scene that he's in. Okay then, uh, Joseph. Were you serious about that Happy Meal? <laughs> Yeah, I saw this in theaters as a kid, and I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. For all the reasons that you were mentioning, it's silly, but it's funny. It's uh, it's a silly fun time that uh, that I've seen a few times. Not, I don't, I don't think I've seen it in. Uh, I don't think I've seen it in a while. I haven't seen it in a while, but I have fun with it. It's uh, fun to see the callbacks to Die Hard and the connections, which I would see years later and be like, oh, I get it now. And then when I was a kid, my dad would say the part with the Band-Aid is a reference to the first Rambo movie. And I would be like, oh, okay. Then I, I watched Rambo for the first time earlier this year. I was like, I got it now. Nice pick. Yeah. yeah, no, I had the same experience you did watching the first Die Hard movie, being like, oh, this is what Paul Blair was doing. That's like, like kids hearing hearing the, the music that Weird Al parodies and being like, oh, they're ripping off Weird Al. <laughs> uh, that was me. Hi, I heard you. Oh no. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Uh yeah. Brooklyn. We'll go back over to you. Um okay, so I feel like this movie needs to be talked about. Uh there are very few movies in this community that are like ingrained as kind of like must-sees. Um but Miami Connection is just uh it's a movie that is so bad but it is also incredible um this movie has so much goddamn heart um i think if peter griffin were to name his favorite movie ever it would be this uh because it's just it's bonkers it's there's ninjas there's gangsters there's a fucking electric dance band um, and they have like really good, but also really just like bad catchy songs. Like we stick together, eternity, honesty through something we can win. Um, but yeah, um, especially coming out of the end of this movie, I think it's just like this movie wants to be great, uh, but it can't be. Uh, so they just do the best that they can. Um, just like, like rough editing here and there. Um, there's a lot there's like a arc in this where uh, a character is missing his dad um and then he just randomly shows up no explanation it's like oh hey you're here um want to explain how you got here and like how you how you kind of knew the location um but but yeah um i just i think this is something that again i i say this a lot but movies need to be experienced sometimes not necessarily enjoyed this is one that just needs to be experienced uh because i think this is the greatest 80s movie uh for all the wrong reasons but also all the right reasons uh that is fair uh i have not seen the miami connection uh i it has garnered a legendary status in this community joseph have you seen the miami connection I have not. The first time I heard about this was because of a Something Different episode that we wrote. I checked the documents for... Uh, uh, I, I go over the documents sometimes to like go over, see, learn a few things also myself. And somebody wrote about this movie. What city does the Miami connection take place in? And it was like, do you know, uh, do you remember Brooklyn? I don't. No. Orlando. Oh, right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the extent... That's 
I didn't write that question. I just saw that somebody else and I was like, oh, I see what they're doing there. That's the extent well, of my the knowledge in this movie. Is in France, so. He's got a but point. It, but it <laughs> involves France. The connection is coming from France. Is does does the, the Miami, Miami connection connection connect to Miami? Connected to Miami? Maybe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Garth. Uh, oh yeah, uh, I I wore out VH tapes of the like this Malibu Express, hot dogs movie, all those like uh, bad eighties movies with uh, lots you know action and TNA and all that and uh, yeah yeah th this kind of stuff is right up my alley. Shout out to Bill and uh, yeah uh, I I love this movie too. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, so now we'll go over to you. Stick it with you, Garth. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Okay, my next guilty pleasure is actually my favorite uh, movie that's uh, based on a Shakespeare. It's a Shakespeare adaptation. Uh, it's uh, based on Hamlet, and it is Strange Brew. Uh, the, <laughs> you already had it already. Uh, based on the uh, your favorite Shakespeare adaptation, I was like, yeah, no, I know what you're gonna yeah. say. You heard that a lot. <laughs> yeah, based on the uh, SCTV uh, uh, Mackenzie Brothers sketches, uh, with Rick Moranis and Dave Thomas, and they they wrote and uh, directed and stuff like that. Uh, so it's it's you know a, a labor of love with them and. Once again, just like my first guilty pleasure, Max von Sydow is the uh, over-the-top villain. Uh, and he wants to rule and take over the world. And uh, his way of doing it is uh, a potion in the beers that uh, mind controls people so that they're more subservient and you play certain tunes on... Uh, uh, you know, cert uh, certain organs and stuff like that. And it makes people fight. Uh, Brooklyn might like it because there's lots of hockey scenes and there's some ho Canadian hockey stars in it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just a wonderful uh, movie and the way it starts off is very meta, meta uh, where they're cranking the tail of the MGM line to get it, trying to get it to roar and they're showing their movie and, and it's not going well. The audience hates it so they let, let loose all these moths to, to like fly up and block the, the you know screen and stuff like that it, it's it's just wonderful stuff like that there's also a movie within a movie where they make their own homemade mutants of uh 2031 and 80s or something like that and it's you know goofy stuff like that uh i just love everything about this yeah no i'm I'm actually going to give this movie, I think, a little more credit, credit than you are. Because I, I would almost say that Guilty Pleasure is a disservice to this movie. Because I, I think that this movie, well, I don't love it as much as some people. I think this movie knows exactly, like, it, it, is, it is a smart movie about dumb characters. But I do think it's a smart movie. Like, it, they're literally trying to make Hamlet. Like, I don't think you see, like, just an average Billy Madison or, or Happy Madison movie try to just, hey, while we make this movie, we're also going to be making Hamlet. 
Like I, I think that the, I'm going to give this movie a little bit more credit than you are. Um, okay. but yeah, no, this this is. I I think that the third act gets a little too cartoony for me personally. But like the first yeah, the, two, the acts, flying dog, yeah, yeah, the flying dog, the drinking all the beer and like going full like that, like that was all just too silly. But the first the first two thirds of this movie are legitimately really clever, and it's it's basically like Canadian Wayne's World. And if you like Wayne's World, you know, this is the Canadian version. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, Joseph, have you seen Strange Brew? I know this was on the Full Metal list, so I feel like... Yeah, Brian put it on the Full Metal list, but I still haven't seen it. There's Brian's put a number of movies on the Full Metal list that I still haven't seen. Fair enough. Uh, Brooklyn? Uh, I have not seen this, but I am familiar with Bob and Doug McKenzie. Uh, like like the opening of it. I just uh, the opening of their of their little show. Uh, I think it was called the Great the Great North or the, or the Great North. Great White North. Yeah, Great White North. Um, but yeah, uh, to call this the Canadian Wayne's World uh, is implying that there's nothing Canadian about Wayne's World, and Wayne's World is is fairly Canadian. Um, they play hockey. Uh, there's they they love donuts. Uh, it started in Canada, actually. It was. Just, I mean, fair, but they literally live in Aurora, Illinois. So it's. I mean, I mean, fair, but like, yeah. To say to say Wayne's World is not Canadian, I think is a is a little little. Yeah, Mike Myers started in Canada before he went to SNL. Well, tell tell Mike Myers to set the movie in Canada then, if he wants to become <laughs> Canadian. <laughs> Uh, anyway, call Love Guru. Love Guru can be Canadian. Wayne's World. <laughs> no, nope, no, nope, we don't want. No, we don't want that. We'll take Wayne's World. Take Wayne's World. Uh, not you're Love going Guru. to put it on the list, buddy. Anyway, uh, guilty pleasures. <laughs> Movies that we know are bad. I cannot say that Wayne's World is bad. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Joseph, over to you. Okay. Um. So I'm gonna borrow Garth's gag now. I'm gonna bring my own prop for this one. Uh, I'm a little bit on the fence, honestly, with this next movie because there are times where I feel like this movie's pretty good, but technically, technically, it's part of a brand that is very poorly regarded, and just because it's the one that I like the most of this brand, it's the one that I would argue is the best but there are still aspects about this movie that are kind of like, eh, you, if, if it's just silly fun, you can have a lot of fun with this movie. Uh, you might note this as the Lion King one and a half, but I had the VHS from Mexico when I was younger and they called it the Lion King three Hakuna Matata. So that's how I call it. And that's how I've watched it. I've never seen the whole thing in English because I have this in Spanish. But as a kid, I loved this movie. Maybe an unhealthy amount. There, there was a time where I feel like I would watch it maybe as many times as the original Iron King. That's how obsessed I was with this movie. <laughs> uh, but... I just loved, as a kid, learning about Timon and Pumbaa's backstories because I loved them in The Lion King. And they're, they're searching for a new home. And I just thought, it's more adventures with them. So I still kind of like it a lot. And I rewatched this a few weeks ago, again, as an adult. And 
there are times where I actually sympathize more with Timon because he wants to go out into the world and find his place in life because at work he, he's bad at concentrating when he's a lookout for hyenas. And also as a kid, this movie introduced me to so many references in popular cinema. Uh, I don't know. Uh, please correct me if I'm wrong with the Spanish references, but in Spanish they say, Pumba, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful acquaintanceship. Yeah, I no, love that. Okay, movie. okay. I love the smell of Pumba in the morning. And the musical cues also. This had this introduced me to the musical cues for the Blues Brothers, Jungle Boogie, and of course, you can't forget about the good, the bad, and the ugly. The show off with the snails is it, it's kind of gross, but it's fun. Seeing uh Simba embrace the Hakuna Matata lifestyle. Um there are times where, even as a kid, I felt like the whole Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of uh, stops the flow at times because I just wanted to go to the adventures. I didn't expect them to like be watching and reacting to their own movie. But as an, as an adult, I would be like, oh, okay, now I see what they're doing. But uh, even though, even, even still, there, it, it feels a little bit more like there's a lot of references for the sake of references. But it's still so much fun as a kid, as an adult, just... Kicking back and watching a short, swift, fun movie. This is one hour and 16 minutes. If you don't know what Brisk is, watch this movie because it's a lot of fun. Digatana, dig, digatana. We can dig and navigate. Digatana, dig, digatana. Heck yeah! Oh, nice. no, I didn't even think about this pick. This is a great pick. This is a fantastic pick. Like, part of me is like, this movie is legitimately good. Part of me is like, this just feels like it should be a guilty pleasure movie. So I kind of get what you were saying at the beginning. Because yeah, no, I, this is probably the only spot where we'd ever talk about Lion King one and a half, so I'll allow it. This movie... Is so much fun. Like, if you're expecting anything on par with The Lion King, you're doing it wrong. Don't don't do that. Why are you doing that? Well, I think that, it also helped. It also helped for me because as a kid, I didn't like Lion King two. So this movie kind of like made up for it. So I like this movie more and, and latched onto it more. Two as a kid, Lion King two, I did not vibe with. But anyway, like this movie, um, like it's, new, it's honestly wrong. like, hey. Lion King is Hamlet, right? Yeah. You want to do Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead? Sure. Like, yeah, like, let's just have Timon and Pumbaa over the course of the events of the Lion King just kind of dink around and just, what what are they doing right now? I think it's really fun. Uh, the music cues are great. One music cue you didn't mention, though, which, when I learned the origin of it, shocked me. Because when my middle school, or well, when the high school uh, called in some middle schoolers to help with the musical, and like, hey, we're doing a production of Fiddler on the Roof. Yes, that, heard, yeah, that's it. Yes, sunrise, sunset. sunset. Yes, this is, and I was like, why, why are we doing the Lion King one and a half song? <laughs> is this the little boy I carry? Like, come on, like, oh, 
this this movie is so stupid, but it is it is so much fun. I don't think this is the river dances. <laughs> like, oh man. In 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 Spanish, the, that line is I don't think they're doing Swan Lake. Oh, that's interesting. Uh anyway, Brooklyn. With with your reaction to Digatana, I know you all. Uh, uh, yeah, so yeah, I I I totally forgot that 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 song existed. Um, I love the mystery science theater um aspect aspect of it. I haven't watched this in a fucking dog's age, um, but I would love to go check it out because because you you brought out the things that I think I would really enjoy about it, and that it is a parody, and that it is riffing off of other films. And if you know me, I love my uh, love me some spoof. That is fair. Uh, Garth. I, I love that uh, I brought up a, a Hamlet adaptation and just brought up another one. <laughs> Some synergy there. Uh, I think I've only seen this once. Um, you know, obviously I'm older and I didn't grow up with it. So, you know, I, I for me, I like the original Lion King and the the uh, sequels and, and shows and stuff I never really got into. Fair enough. Well, anyway, we're over to me. And, yeah, I'm, I'm going to kind of keep the theme of early 2000s family films. I'm going to go a little bit earlier. Look, I want you to imagine something. Imagine if Guy Ritchie directed a Disney-esque kids movie. like this movie has some of the most ridiculous character introductions in the history of cinema the way like it's it's going full guy Ritchie with like the freeze frames and the title cards like it's it's full-on guy Ritchie and i love it you have a character who is only referred to as robe you've got a bully who instead of like hey i'm gonna this is a very systematic bully because what he does is instead of like just being a normal bully no no dude picks a kid a day and then to announce which kid he's going to bully that day he takes the time to write each kid's name on a t-shirt and then covers that t-shirt with a leather jacket while all the other kids are like watching to see who it's gonna be and then he takes it off and it's like max keeble and then of course also this same bully is like terrified um, oh, it's a- Google's the frog, which is basically like a Barney the Dinosaur style kids show character. Oh. On top of all this, you have Jamie Kennedy as an evil ice cream man, and uh, Eddie from uh, That's So Raven is uh, this weird stock market bully who takes kids' lunch money, but it's not really explained. What he like, how he actually is able to get away with any of this, but he also has the best introduction of any of the characters in this movie. So I give him the pass. This movie's insane. It is the movie that started my love of the song Bust a Move. God uh, damn it, you stole my line. <laughs> you know, if you know me, uh, or have ever been anywhere where I would do karaoke, you can put two and two together. Anyway, 
Uh, Brooklyn, I'm going to go to you last because I just know how excited you are. Uh, we're going to go to Joseph. So I haven't seen this movie, but you mentioning a Barney version of a frog? Googles, you said? McGoogles. McGoogles? He's Scottish. McGoogles is the name. I think that's one of my families. <laughs> see, when I was, see, when I was a kid in Mexico, we would have another version of Barney called Juana the Iguana. And hearing the Googles, the frog makes me think of Juana la Iguana as a kid. I don't remember it being creepy because I was a kid, but that's what it makes me think of. Fair enough. Uh, Garth, you, you don't seem like a big Max Keeble's big move type of guy. Uh, no. Unlike you, I was 33 when this came out, so yeah, no. No, not, not lining up in the theater for this one. Nope. Fair enough. Uh, Brooklyn? Uh, yeah, I was eight years old when this movie came out, so this was this was designed uh, for my demographic at the time. Similar to Bowman, uh, this is where I learned to appreciate Bust to Move. Um, my favorite performance in, in this, though, is Noel Fisher uh, as as the bully. Um, and it's funny because if you if anybody watches Shameless, uh, Noel Fisher plays basically the exact same character, but with a with, with an with an added layer that he is a closeted homosexual. Uh, and that he's just he's constantly constantly trying to hide that, um, but uh, just great. I forgot about McGoogles, uh, and because it's Jamie Kennedy that puts on the costume, right, and like helps him scare the kid, or who is no. or is it? <sighs> it's isn't it just like Max or Robe? It might be Robe. I'm not sure, um, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 great. I think the I think the junkyard is like the big kind of like set piece there. Um and then I forgot the name of the actor, but he's been in like every Disney Channel movie or series or just everything. He plays typical Dick Principal. Uh and he Larry plays, Miller. Yeah, he plays typical Dick Principal to a T. Uh, and I love it. I I forgot to mention Larry Miller, who I have to, because he is the person in this movie who understood the assignment and is just giving an unhinged comedic performance. You're a smart little boy. Well, so am I! <laughs> like, unhinged. It's amazing. Anyway, uh, we got two more spots open. So, Brooklyn, I'm going over to you. So we were talking uh, before call, and I mentioned that there was a movie uh, that somebody I was talking to, they were like, are you fucking kidding me? You're picking this movie, um, and to get—I guess we'll stay on on the stay on the trend of 2000s family movies. I guess. Um, so in the 2000s, Will Ferrell was known for being like a man child, uh, but before Will Cher Will Ferrell was a man child, uh, David Spade was a man child, um, and he did it in Dickie Roberts, uh, former child star. <laughs> um, I I have watched this movie on probably levels of like Boatman watching Lion or Boatman watching um um friggin', Paul uh yeah uh Paul Bart Malkoff but uh but yeah this movie knows that it's bad um and it just rolls with it like it's it doesn't hold itself in high regard um there's a whole sub arc of uh, Alyssa Milano basically being a piece of shit. And they like there's this very uh, 
Oh, what's the what was the name of that uh of that show? It's like E like E30, the Hollywood story of like it would be like inside the actors, but but not that. Uh basically, basically that's how they kind of that's how they kind of open it. Um and it's it's David Spade just kind of being silly and fucking ridiculous. Uh like wears gloves, has some really bad jokes, but then there's also some charm when they're like when uh they're singing uh like just my imagination and it's him on stilts and it's like him showing the kid like they're trying to impress this girl uh and then he's helping the girl with the uh with her cheerleading audition um and i think it's to uh kenny Loggins ride like the wind uh and that's just that's a great song um everything that you love about the 80s uh and then how this movie closes it's this big like ensemble piece of all these former child stars kind of saying like all the dangers of being a child star um and i just it's bad it's very bad uh but it's just, it's great uh that's fair i have not seen this uh garth i have <laughs> seen this. uh yeah not not for me um and the the whole uh, germ thing with the gloves and stuff is uh, is a spoof on Howie Mandel, and there's a lot of that in this, as Brooklyn mentioned, where he's just like spoofing different celebrities and and uh, doing the behind. It. There's a lot of like insider, you know, Hollywood jokes in this, uh, and but it didn't work for me. I, I was I'm not I'm not a big David Spade fan, and uh, this one didn't work. Fair enough. Joseph? I have seen this movie. Uh, I didn't like it, but I can see how someone can see it as a guilty pleasure. The one thing that I remembered the most, which I thought was maybe the cheesiest but funniest part of the movie, was the part where David Spade wanted, uh, Dickie Roberts wanted to get into other roles and wanted to show his reins to Rob Reiner's character. And Rob Reiner tells him, as an example, Try to be a six-year-old boy who gets a bike for a birthday present. And Dickie Roberts goes, holy shit, a bike! You're six. Holy crap, a bike! You're six. Goo Goo Gaga bike? Too far back. It's stupid, but that's the part that I remembered the most about it. Fair enough. Uh, well... Uh, Garth, take us home. All right. Uh, my next pick is a uh, Marvel movie. Uh, the first Marvel movie that came out in 1985 was Red Sonja. Often people don't consider that a Marvel movie, but it was based on a Marvel created character. I'm going with the second one, Howard the Duck. Uh, executive produced by George Lucas uh and it's you know based on the howard the duck uh marvel comics by steve gerber uh this you know is definitely a guilty pleasure because i know it's one of the the worst marvel movies uh out there uh people probably like Electra better uh but for me i just like the goofy fun of it and Tim Robbins, especially as the nerdy scientist in it, um, and you know, <clears throat> you know, I, I just 
Uh, let's see here. What did I write down? Uh, it's Lucas Lucasfilm uh, picture, so it fits under that. Uh, and then uh, Leah Thompson, of course, is Beverly. Uh, Jeffrey Jones is the villainous. Uh, Dr. Walter Jennings and stuff like that. And it has uh, very weird stuff in it, like for some reason, from the duck worlds, the female ducks have boobs and stuff, where it's like that's not how ducks work. But uh, and you know, it's like, but it's like, um, you know, it's it's just a very weird movie, and you know, I love it for its weirdness, and it's weird that he's come back and he's in, you know. Marvel movies like he was in friggin' Endgame showed up coming through a portal and you know so uh yeah no uh Howard the Duck is bad I can see how this could be a guilty pleasure movie because it is very ridiculous I I will say the one place where I will agree with you Tim Robbins I think is out of his mind in this movie and it's very entertaining to watch Dudes, dudes on cocaine in this movie, and I love it. Uh, uh, Leah Thompson. It's you know, if I bet if in 1985 you told her when she's ready to kiss someone playing her son, if you told her this would only be the second most awkward. <laughs> I don't know if she would believe you, uh, but there we are. Anyway, Joseph, have you had the pleasure of watching Howard the Duck? I have not, but if we're going to talk about awkward kisses, on Watch Mojo's top 10 most awkward kisses in movies list, I believe they chose the Back to the Future one over this one, but that's what I remember, I think. Well, that's weird, but I guess one is purposefully awkward, one is unintentionally awkward. Maybe. Anyway, maybe. Brooklyn. Haven't seen it. Fair enough. I will say, the theme song is not bad. Uh, but that's it for Guilty Pleasures. Uh, our pleasures, our Guilty Pleasures, uh, to recap, were Love Guru, Flash Gordon, Day After Tomorrow, Miami Connection, uh, Paul Blart, Monocop, Strange Brew, Lion King, One and a Half, Max Keeble's Big Move, Dickie Roberts, and Howard the Duck. But now we're going to talk about The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, Joseph, remind me. Have you has, has anyone here already talked about this yet this month? No. Okay. Is, are all three of you prepared to talk about it tonight? Very. Okay. Can I get five on. minutes. I'm. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I am. Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, Brooklyn. We'll start with you. Okay. So I have only seen about. Uh, half of this, I would say, uh, and I haven't fully completed it, um, but what I have seen is fucking unreal. Um, I love the score in this. Um, I remember doing an episode of Jam Session way back in the day, uh, and somebody said that their favorite that, that their favorite score uh, was this, or their favorite soundtrack actually might have been uh, this. The it's I get now why Ennio Morricone is brought into the conversation as great composers. Um, I love the characters of uh fucking like and kind of their kind of how they're in, introduced um like the the um like the man the manathone name uh crazy eye or yeah crazy eyes um angel eyes angel eyes angel eyes uh, 
Uh, yeah, and then the yeah, and how Angel Eyes is basically like basically the Joker, and he's just kind of like unhinged and just chaotic evil. Um, but yeah, I think this is. It's weird that this doesn't get talked in vain of like Godfather to a point where it's almost like overhyped. Cause I think this one is, I think this one still has like the, like, like, Oh, like you're a movie lover and you haven't checked this out. You need to go check this out. That's fair. Oh, uh, what would you give it out of five? Uh, I would give this a five out of five. Garth. Uh, yeah, this is a five out of five movie for me. Um, I saw this when I was a kid back in the seventies and I loved all these movies. And for me, the, the funny thing is that even though overseas they were released year after year in America, they actually were all released in the same year in 1967. Um, and, uh, so that, that was a weird thing that like all three of these movies came out in one year in America. Um, and, but, you know, I love all these movies and the, how they tie together the man with no name, even though he has nicknames in each movie. Uh, and that this is a prequel, you know, taking place in the, the Civil War and stuff. So it takes place before the others. And it shows how he gets his, like, poncho and stuff like that and things like that. Um, and... I, you know, there's there's a lot of poetry in this and the different aspects of personalities uh, with Tuco and, and, you know, Blondie and, and Angel Eyes. And it's it's a very great movie. Can't recommend it. Fair enough. Uh, just. Yeah, so uh, I've been doing this thing uh, for 2022, two things, two watch challenges. Uh, one of them is the video store video store letterbox challenge, and one of the categories was to watch your biggest blind spot movie. And this one is for me. I watched it for the first time over the past. I finished over the past weekend for the first time, and basically, yeah, the movie's about as great as the hype makes it out to be. Um, the once Upon a Time in the West soundtrack, I, I think, is the one soundtrack, the, the one Western soundtrack that Morricone has done that I think I would act, I would argue that one's the that was my favorite one over over this one. But it's still mesmerizing and haunting at times, but also so much fun to listen to, and the the characters. I shouldn't love Tuco as much as I do, but I think he's such a great and kind of funny character for a character being referred to as the ugly in the move in the movie the some of the things that he does just crack me up his one scene in the bathtub is memorable uh, i don't know if you got that far brooklyn but uh, uh i think so yeah okay and, and also uh diving and his butt still up in the air when trying to uh, uh, I won't. I won't say what happens later. And he sleeps the whole night that way. With the diving, the the diving scene is what I'll call it. It's also kind of funny. Uh, but what also surprised me is that some of the humanity that is shown in it. Like, of course, it's not the main aspect, but the humanity that Clint Eastwood's character Blondie shows to some to one particular soldier. That was like, technically, he's a bad guy, but he still sees him as human, and he's not going to give him. 
any disrespect. He's dying, and he's going to give him at least one last thing before he dies. And that was like, that was kind of moving in a, in an otherwise and, very, uh, very hard hitting and very mesmerizing and, and incredible movie. That's and I just want to point out that scene also was where he gets the poncho, and so that adds a, an emotional yeah. weight to the poncho. That's right. That's right. Um, this is I'd say it's a very good four and a four and a half out of five for me. The this and the other two dollars movies have the uh, here and there issue of the dubbing looking a little weird at times. The audio dubbing that they did for these movies, but I think when I recently saw for a few dollars more, and I think this movie, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, handles it much better than uh, for a few dollars more. So yeah, it's my favorite of the three in the trilogy. Fair enough. Well, oh, what would you give it out of five? A four and a half out of five. Four and a half out of five. Well, anyway, that is it for the show. Uh, next week, or the top action movies. Tim's hosting that one, so uh, I don't know. I don't know if we have a full panel for that one or not. But anyway, regardless, thank you to everyone for watching. Thank you to Brooklyn, Garth, and Joseph. See you later. In case I don't see you. Good afternoon. Good evening.